eyes above, so below. Welcome to Connecting with Coincidence. I am your host, Bernard Beitman, MD. I study meaningful coincidences. And uh, you can get my book, uh, Meaningful Coincidences, uh, at any place you buy your books. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to tell you, uh, as I usually do, uh, a story. This happened like on on January 15th. Um, and uh, I was I got going down to the river uh, here in Charlottesville and uh, hanging around because weird stuff happens sometimes down by the river. Um, I was meditating. I was singing to the river. I sometimes think the river likes to hear me singing, uh, as do some trees. And I came up with a, an answer to a, a question. And the question was, why are there so many names for God? Hmm. And the answer I came up with was that most people feel like there's something going on around us, a guiding hand, some kind of intelligence, some, some influence uh, beyond our own personal influence and the influence of other people. So uh, we've got to put a name on it to somehow get some control out of, over it, but it's a mystery. We really don't know what, what this is. Uh, so the name gives us control, and different cultures have come up with different names for this mysterious influence in each of our lives. Uh, so I was wondering, maybe um, there's a good way to call to use to do this that comes out of judaism uh, where um, a subset of of jewish uh, hebrew thinking is uh, using the word hashem which means the name and so if you just have the name then you could put whatever name you want on it including the name of no name so you have a wide variety of possibilities whatever you want to project into it so i i like the idea of calling what we call god the name uh, and so I walked further on down the river and went down again and started singing to the river again. And as I was doing that, two people came down to where I was. The woman was taking a photo of the man. So I volunteered to photograph both of them, seemed like tourists. And I sensed uh, in a variety of ways that they were interested in ideas. Uh, and I posed a question, my question to them, why are there so many different names for God. And I suggested that the Hebrew name Hashem, uh, meaning the name, was probably the best way to go. And they looked at me, their eyes a little wide open, and said, we are both rabbis. Magnificent. Oh, Bernard, magnificent. Thanks, Lisa. And that magnificent speaker <laughs> is a magnificent woman named Lisa Miller. And uh, unlike other days, I'm going to ask Lisa Miller to introduce herself to you. Who are you, Lisa I'm, Miller? I'm thrilled to be here with you, Bernard. I am a clinical psychologist and clinical scientist, a professor of 20 years plus at Columbia University. The clinical psychology program is my home where I founded the Spirituality Mind-Body Institute, a foundationally spiritual look into mental health and well-being, a point of convening and a lab through which we publish peer-reviewed scientific articles. The Spirituality Mind-Body Institute also has the first graduate degree program in spirituality, mind-body amongst similar type institutions. 
my whole life's path has been to bear witness. I see science as a form of witness. We can stand up one by one in a synagogue or a church or a mosque and give testimony. And we can look at the chorus of human experience and view that in a study sample as a form of witness. So science is a very sacred endeavor. And I would say to your beautiful synchronistic story that the presence of source, who I call God, some say prana or Holy Spirit, the force in us, through us and among us that moves the universe, the name uh, Hashem, I would say is named as a form of witness that, that certainly I would agree we can never control Hashem, but we can listen. When you say a form of witness, could you mm -hmm. tell us what you mean by that? Yes, that, you know, as a scientist and from a spiritual perspective, when we pay attention to life, including what you may call a coincidence, a synchronicity, we are bearing witness to the deeper nature of the miracle of life. We are bearing witness to the uh, both causal and non-causal miracles, that there's two types of miracles. One is explained in the laws of physics and one is explained independent of the law of physics. And they're both miracles. The fact that I got up and I'm still here, we know this for Judaism. Thank you, God, for waking me up today and for making me a man or woman, that we're in a body. That's, that's material and imminence, if you will. And there are miracles, things that are far too unprobabilistic to have happened by chance. Both can be seen in our lives and both can even be seen through the lens of science. And what do you, how is, uh, how is witnessing part of that? Mm. So witnessing, you know, I've, in the awakened brain, I get into this in some depth, but effectively we have within us the capacity to perceive as we witness life the deeper force that's in and through life. And I'll share with you uh, perhaps some stories that I will share first as an individual, as giving testimony, if you will, and then reflect on through the lens of our MRI studies that have looked at human makeup and human composition as innately spiritually aware. How about that? Yep. Okay. Good. Go ahead. Well, I know you're expert in coincidence. I know you've thought deeply and in your book, flesh out the broad range of possibility around coincidence and synchronicity. So this may not surprise you, but I find that as a testimony, it still has its inherent sacredness and beauty. So here we go. go, um, ahead. go ahead. Yeah. I, together with my husband, starting when we were both about say 30, 31, we had basically built the lives we wanted. You know, he had wanted to go to law school, become a lawyer. I had wanted to be a psychologist and we'd both finished our training. We had an apartment in New York. We had great friends. Everything was, you know, not what we'd wanted. It was even better. We couldn't believe it was all working out. And there we were. And the best thing of all was about to happen, which was we were deciding that we were going to start a family. And this was something that I had just always assumed all my life would go very smoothly. So we went off, we went down to St. Martin, had a wonderful week. You know, it was timed perfectly to try to conceive. We came home and a few weeks later, no baby. And we thought, well, you know, who gets one for one? So we 
said, let's, let's just go out to Sedona, another good energy place. Why don't we go there? And took another vacation about a month later. And again, no baby. And as we started month after month to quote, try to conceive, I started to get this creepy, horrible feeling that something was not working, that the assumption for the greatest hope in our lives, which was to be parents, was just that, an assumption. And I had this horrible sense that, that we were going to have infertility challenges. And indeed, after about a year, it was clear we did. So I set as a researcher, as a clinical scientist, I set to identifying the teams with the highest rates of conception, fertility teams. And I went to one nearby and did some standard you know, IUIs and then went up to IVF and still no baby. And I thought, you know, I just don't have the right team. So I researched not just the best team nearby, but the best team in the Northeast. And I booked an appointment, my husband and I went there. And as we started up ratcheting the treatments and up ratcheting the so-called quality of the hit rate, the success rate of the team, I had just deep in my heart, Bernard, I just knew I was in the wrong place. You know, I knew that everything that I had learned as a scientist said, you know, this is the red door, go through it. But I knew that for us, there was something off in our path. And right as I was really starting to get the picture. There's something, there's, there's something about you and the way you're talking about this, that you have become very tuned into what we might call your own intuition, which means a lot of different things to people. But somehow you are so clear about knowing without knowing how you know how did that happen with you and we'll go back to the story but how, it's filled your, your story is filled with that kind of information intuition has proven out in my road of life to be hard data when i have a gut instinct you know, you know every day you've turned right today something says go left take that left when I have a gut instinct that I don't know why, but for some reason I need to reach out and I've got to call my parents or check on my kids, every time it has been essential that I move on that information. So it has always been the case that when I pay attention to a gut instinct, a knowing of the heart, a deep inner wisdom, a form of intuition that has just presented itself to me, that has 100% born out as important and fruitful. When right. I have ignored intuition, it has been either to my detriment or the detriment of the people around me. So well, intuition is, is hard data. It's yeah, not- it's hard, it's hard data. And you as a scientist with your inner skeptic have been able to test out your intuition by noticing, well, I didn't do that. So something bad and something bad happened. So you got to do the trial and error way that uh, all us kids do and try to figure out how something happens or doesn't happen. You saw, yeah, I better listen to this. And the two kinds of intuition that you described, and intuition is this broad category, uh, it, it, are precognition um, that you could know something about the future right now and but also what i'll call telepathy you would could know when you needed to call somebody something was going on with them so these it's a very important as part of understanding 
coincidences and intuition to start dividing up intuition into its multiple streams of information and then doing exactly what you're talking about. I try to emphasize this in my book as much as possible is use rationality, the skeptic, to test out the intuitive information. And you're really a good scientist. So and you're not dumb. You said, well, I didn't do that and something bad happened. So, okay. <laughs> I mean, that's that's how we learn. So, oops, put the finger on the stove when you're a kid. Oh, no, I'm not going to do that again when the thing is. So, but you have done that so clear mindedly that I'd wanted to stop you for a moment and and have our audience hear how you thought almost like, oh, there's a traffic light that says I better stop. It's that the same kind of ability you have sharpened so i just want to respect that in you and show you as a as a paradigm of how people can use their own intuition so but i would say inside each and every one of us is an inner table of human knowing and at our inner table is the logician and the empiricist they're very busy as a scientist i call on them all the time and equally at the table is the mystic the intuitive and the skeptic, and everybody works together. These are organic forms of knowing, inborn, if you will, epistemologies. And when everybody works together, the mystic has a profound experience and the logician discerns and unfolds over time just what was shown and foretold, or there's a deep intuition. And then the next thing I know, I look out and there's outward, so-called outward physical data, empirical evidence, concomitant and parallel confirming my intuition. We've got a brain that is interconnected and we push people in the MRI. We welcome them on into the tube, the MRI. We find that those people who rely on multiple forms of knowing, what I call really being in a state of quest, inspiration. What does that mean? Ask a question. My heart receives the answer. They have highly myelinated tracks between regions of the brain. They have a more interconnected brain. So that, as you know, through the lens of science is a better brain. It is more innovative. It is more adaptive. We're built to be knowers in multiple forms, and they are all forms of hard data. We, we are built to be knowers in multiple forms. We are built to be knowers in multiple forms. And what you are describing is having the, these, these four uh, characters in each of us, having a much better communication system and not walled off from each other and what you're trying to encourage and you probably are teaching and 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 experiencing for having helping students experience is how to make those connections stronger yes yes and perhaps the most harmful lesson the most preemptive lesson of real discovery is that the skeptic gets to be the bouncer at the door I have seen so many students show up on day one, having been trained by earnest, good teachers, that the skeptic is the bouncer at the door. Well, the skeptic is welcome to the table alongside the mystic and the intuitive and the empiricist and the logician. But if the skeptic's the bouncer at the door, we will never discover anything. <laughs> a skeptic is there to propel deeper inquiry. The skeptic will also often drive a question which is then revealed through a synchronicity or a mystical experience. The skeptic gets to play on the team and may even propel non-logical forms of learning, such as a mystical experience. But the skeptic is way over empowered in the way that we teach young people about discovery and certainly science. 
Oh, and that's so well said. And is this in your recent book, what you're just describing? In the awakened brain, I get into the different circuits that undergird different forms of knowing. And in particular, I contrast our achieving awareness, which we build very well in post-industrial global culture, the US, Europe, we build achieving awareness. What is your goal? How are you going to get it? Close the deal. And we teach tactics, we teach strategy, we teach preparation, and that's all important, instrumental skills. But instrumental skills alone are completely insufficient to set a course for a meaningful life or to adapt to a world that actually is about 80 to 90% dynamism, flux. We don't control much. We control maybe the icing, a little thin layer of icing on a big cake of flux. And even people who are supposed to be controlling everything, like air traffic control or a surgeon, will be the first to tell you, how about a battalion commander, that life is about 90% dynamism. So we have a highly, profoundly adaptive skill that is way under cultivated called our awakened awareness, through which we stop saying, what do I want and how am I going to get it? That's the preparation, okay, to, hey, right here and now. What is life showing me? What, as the army says, is my situational awareness? What is the deeper force in life? Hashem, who I call God, spirit, prana, Holy Spirit, guiding us to see. The ability to look into flux as not chaos, but rather as revelatory of something deeper that we've yet to understand. We're built for that, but that is a skill that can be developed. When we look at twin studies, you know, we can tell the extent to which any human capacity is innate or developed. This capacity for transcendent awareness is innate. It's our birthright, but it's one third innate, which means it needs cultivation. It is two thirds practiced and engaged and languaged and shared. Please, that's, that's, please go on with your story. Oh, thank you. Um, the story is the story that is my personal path that unfolded as I also grew as a scientist to use multiple forms of you know, MRI studies, epidemiological studies, to look at that which I was experiencing firsthand as a soul on earth, as a person walking this journey. So in our path, the infertility journey started to not only drive us down into profound depression. You know, my husband would literally lie on the floor and he had the job he wanted. He had the resources he wanted. He said, our lives are hollow and meaningless without children. He felt gutted, all he wanted. And I felt um, this horrible sense that there was not going to be a medical answer. So we were getting anxious, but right as things really broke and got terrible, I started to notice helpers, healers, guides along this journey. And physical, one friend, physical or both, both. So on the physical side, the synchronicities I saw I'll share, for example, after a very painful, depressing, failed in vitro, I had to go up to work. Nonetheless, I got on the bus up Broadway and on this big empty bus or maybe two other people on it. I was sitting in the way back row on the orange linoleum seat, just wanting to feel sad and mourning the loss of that tiny little embryo that did not take. I mean, it literally felt like a funeral. It was horrible. 
Well, on steps to the bus, a gentleman who was quite a unique fellow, and he started walking towards me. And I thought, there's no way he's going to sit near me. There's about you know 25 empty seats on this bus, mid bus, back bus. He comes up, he sits right next to me, Bernard, right next to me in the back row. And I, you know, didn't really have much in me that day to be particularly sprightly or cordial. And I, truthfully, I thought, oh no, I can't, I can't even hit a conversation at this point. And he says, you know what, lady? And trying to be polite, I said, yes. He said, you look like just that type of lady that would go all around the world adopting kids. What? And at the next stop, he got off. Well, let's let's pause for a moment <laughs> and have you understand how that happened. Well, I was in a deep state of mourning over not conceiving a child when I so dearly wanted to be a parent. And the question in my heart was, will we ever be parents? And a gentleman comes on and rides one stop, sits down next to me and says, you look like just that type of lady who will adopt opening the door on the possibility that our spiritual child would be found through adoption. It never occurred to me. And what, ma what made him, do you think, say that to you? I think we all have had moments where we just have a deep inner sense of knowing, say something. We don't necessarily know why, but there's a sense, just say it. And so, I have felt that. I mean, the other day I was in line at the Whole Foods and the woman in front of me had a little basket and I always snoop in the next person's basket. She had kale and she had you know, non-dairy yogurt. And I wonder how other people live healthy lives. And, so there I was. and I looked up at her and I've been, you know, I've been to Whole Foods a hundred times, 200 times. I looked at her and something deep within me said, say it. So I did. I'm so grateful I paid attention to the deep intuitive inner wisdom that said, say it. And I turned to her and I said, you look so healthy. And she started to cry. And she leaned forward and in a whisper said, I just started chemotherapy this week. Thank you. And I said, you know what? You had cancer and they took it out. You are healthy. And she said, thank you. We are messengers for each other in this beautiful web of relationship, in this symphony of life. We are messengers for each other. And when you feel, say it, you are a trail angel. You're delivering what that person needs to hear in their road of life. Beautiful. So the gentleman on the bus was telling me what I needed to hear. Well, that's, I mean, that's, those are in my terms, coincidences, synchronicities and uh, synchronicities are unexplainable. That's what makes them or, or not explained, but that's what makes me curious about them is how, how can I come up with a way of understanding them? And, and uh, I don't know. I, I, I like to think that in each instance with you saying, and with the gentleman on the bus saying, that you enter into the energy information field of the other person and that you, if you're open, you can pick up what's there in that person and be able to be a conduit of their subconscious and their future into words that you say to them. That's the way I think about it. How do you think about how that happens? 
in my experience, we are all emanations like rays of the sun from source. And so there's a beautiful dialectic where we're both extensions of source and in conversation, we do have choice. That gut instinct said, say it, I had to choose to say it, right? So we are both emanations of this grand source who I call God or Hashem. Well, God is, I mean, it's your choice. Hashem is whatever you, is pick your own name. That's what Hashem means. Well, and, and, and I would say that source, whether you say Hashem or, yeah, it is in and through all of our encounters yeah. in every moment yeah. and every breath. Yeah. yeah. So Hashem, I mean, as I would say, well, the chief of chaplains in the Pentagon calls it divine appointment. I would say we are sent from central casting to play in each other's lives, that there's a source of orchestration that put me behind her that day, that put the gentleman next to me on the bus. And when these moments happen, we are fulfilling a form of, I think it's prayer in action. It is relational spirituality. We are taking our deep connection to source and living out love and guidance for one another. So just as we are loved and held and guided by God, source, Hashem, we are loved and guided by Hashem, we show up and are loving and guiding for one another through Hashem. That's how I see it. Yeah, it's a central casting thing, and uh, God is the is the producer of the show, uh, and says, "Okay, you're going to sit next to her or stand next to her, um, and you're going to say something." Um, I, I'm still kind of a. Uh, a local kind of guy like i like to look at local um uh explanations i mean how how these random things happen which they seem random anyway where where you get this intersection of two people um and that there's a probability of that happening and to me it it could be almost anybody that could be where somebody is and it didn't have to be you it could be somebody else what was important is that the other person is really open to the uh, experience of the person needing to hear the message. And it's that openness that allows for the voice to come out in the moment to be able to say uh, what needed to be said. And I, I, I like the central casting idea because I think we're all in this big movie. Um, and I, and I like, and the movie that I like, uh, the kinds I like are more like um, uh, musical comedies uh, because I, I love, I like to laugh and I like to sing and I like to say outrageous things that are true, which happens uh, with a lot of comedy uh, so that, that, that it, be, it becomes a, a, a kind of movie that we each are participating in with each other and that we are part, partly creators of these movies ourselves. We do have that thin capacity to do something, but these are our different ways of, of looking at how it happens. And I have mine and you have yours, and, and that's the way baseball works in this. We're going to have our own, we come to this with our own different experiences and our own favorite ways of thinking about things. So I'm not trying to impose at all, and neither are you on me, but it's like we get to hear different ways of thinking about these interactions that become becomes so formative to a person's life. So yes. Uh, and and irrespective of the big map of reality that we carry, these exchanges are life-changing and they can be life-saving. Yes. And so it was for you.
And uh, yes. it's it's the important thing in all of this is to say this stuff happens, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> this stuff, this stuff happens. And, and when we pay and, attention and witness and then say yes and act on this deep awakened awareness, then life unfolds in a much more inspired way. I don't get what I wanted. I get something better than what I wanted because what I wanted my, you know, what do I want and how am I going to get it? Narrow tactical achieving awareness is based only on today back historically across my life and those I've encountered, but the type of guidance, the high pixel hit of a synchronicity or mystical experience is information that is going to unfold forward over time. We know, bam, intuitively, wow, what a gift of a blessing, a mystical experience, a synchronicity. We know there's guidance. We know there's a portal. We know there's the opening of a new door. But to walk through that, I need not know where it's going. I just need to know that I'm on solid ground. And I am. I'm on walking with deep information at the level of intuition brought through synchronicity I know I'm going somewhere and in my life experience, that has been the surest footing I've found. It has always opened into something better than I wanted or better for someone else. And, and when and I that, ignore it, it's been a, it's been a disaster. And it doesn't it. fit with the schema that your neurological uh, scheming thing, which you had a better term for, doesn't fit for that. I call them expectation videos that we create oh, uh, and we think this is the way it's supposed to go. And there's something to being able to imagine things and helping them happen. There's something to that. But then there's times when you got to like, well, maybe there's a little something else you got to be thinking about. And you had both of you, the woman in line and both and you had expectations of something happening, health, uh, a child. But mm -hmm. the way it happened for you, and we'll go back to that, please, is like um, a little different from what your video had made it specifically to be. So you've, you've got the idea. It was quite a bit different than my my a priori my a priori tactically envisioned plan, and it was far greater. And I'll I'll share with you, Bernard, that on this road lined with synchronicities, the guides who I have come to call trail angels that we are one another's trail angels. That, oh, that's wonderful! That's wonderful! That's wonderful! You know, if you're hiking the PCT or the AT, you can't bring enough food and water. You count on trail angels to point you to water sources to walk by your side if you're injured. We count in long, independent hikes in nature on being supported, loved, held, and guided. Beautiful. And in life, we're loved, held, and guided. So the way I saw so clearly the gift from who I call God, the love, the holding, the guidance came both in this walk. It was almost like a red carpet rolling out, lined with synchronicities, and through some, the blessing of, of some sacred mystical experiences like what i was asleep deep asleep this is about year three through our five-year journey of infertility and suddenly i woke up paying sat up literally 90 degrees sat up in bed and felt this great great presence coming it was a felt sense of a great presence coming in my mind's eye I saw, so it's not made up, but it is not confused with knocking on a table. In my mind's eye, I perceived this numinous opening of space and time, 
and a very sacred presence came and said, if you were pregnant, would you adopt? And I responded very honestly. It was a very powerful presence, a sacred, very holy presence. I said, no, no, I wouldn't. I feel I'm working towards someone. This is about ego death, but no, not yet. And I continued then my husband and I down this road of chasing the best doctor, but all the while knowing that our path was actually being sustained and held by something much deeper revealed through synchronicity. So for instance, I came home after the fourth in vitro with that sinking sense. I've been in the wrong place, something awful. This isn't going to happen. And on the front walk of my home in front of our front door, there was this little glossy smudge. And I thought, well, I've never seen that. What is that? And I got really close and it was a flat on its back, splat, dead, dead duck embryo. And I thought, well, if there's a dead duck embryo on my front step and I have it just had embryos put in my body, this isn't going to take, I, I'm holding dead embryos. And it was very depressing. I was able to read the synchronicity. I mean, anyone would, it was like being hit on the head and I you know, got de depressed and I went to bed and I fell asleep in the middle of the day. And suddenly I heard a knock on the window. I was sleeping in my study. I had a little couch in my study and knock on the window. And I thought, what is that? And I got up and I, I looked and at the door of my study had come a little mama duck and she had a big juicy worm. It was her dead duck embryo. And she knew that I had a dead embryo and she brought me a worm. She was loving. She was providing. She was caring in the same way that someone from the community would bring you dinner or a cake to support you. She was giving me what she thought was delicious and supportive. And I knew that we are in a family of life where we show up for one another. Trail angels are people, but trail angels are also fellow living beings. And these profound moving synchronicities that reveal that we're loved, held, and guided, and that we show up, all of us in the family of life, to be loving, holding, and guiding, continued. And I, I felt that I wasn't getting what I wanted. There was no baby. I wanted a baby, but that we were loved and held was clear, and that the process was unfolding was clear. And presence came back. I sat up in bed, 90 degrees, the same felt feeling of approaching. Here comes the presence, profound, sacred, space and time open. There's a numinous opening. The presence asks again, if you were pregnant, would you adopt? And I said, I can feel I'm getting closer. But in my heart's truth, the answer was no, still no. And the space and time closed back and it felt very, very silent. And each time, Bernard, I look over and my husband's deep asleep. So this is, this is an experience I'm having and he's asleep. We continue down the path. And one of the synchronicities was that I share a name with my older cousin. She's big Jane and I'm little Jane. Big Jane called me and said, you know what, Miss Columbia professor, no one else Bernard, really talks to me quite this way. You think you're so smart, but if you really want to understand spirituality, you've got to come out here and go to a healing ceremony next week, the Lakota out here in South Dakota are holding a ceremony. And I just feel you need to be there. This is so big she, Jane telling you that big mm -hmm. Jane told me this on the phone and she spoke out of her deep knowing her intuition. And still she had arranged my attendance at what was otherwise really a community ceremony. And so of course one says, yes, 
that is our awakened awareness. What is life showing me now? Did duck embryo, big Jane on the phone. Yes. I got on a plane. I canceled my appointments for the week. I show up in South Dakota and the chief stands up at the healing ceremony, brings his fist to his heart. And his opening words are my son who is adopted. And he starts to cry with love. And I think, wow, you know, my son who's adopted. And I go then to the healing ceremony in the Anipi, the sweat lodge, the women in one, the men in another. It was officiated by the woman who called herself the medicine man's wife. And as we went around the Anipi, each woman shared why she had come to pray and what we might pray for on her behalf. And the first woman said, I've come because my son, he's 40 and he's not coming home anymore. And the next woman says, my son, he's 14. He started to use drugs and I'm worried. We go around the circle and we get to Big Jane. And Big Jane says, I'm here with my cousin, little Jane. She's come looking for her child. And I'm wondering if we could help her. And Renard, the women got it. They all with total clarity and deep authenticity said, yeah, yes, very sincere. And I felt so grateful that I could join in the circle as we were praying for sons. Well, the medicine man's wife led us into a deep, deep, deep prayer in the Anipi through which we sent up our prayers individually for one another and as the superordinate, the felt we, the collective. And after five years of seeking, that night a call came. We have found the Miller's child. We know Mr. Miller had wanted a daughter and we can find you a great girl, but this is a son and this is the Miller's child. So we have named him Isaiah Lakota for the women and men who helped bring him to us. Lakota and Isaiah, of course, for one world. If I had only chased infertility doctors for the next decade, I would have never found Isaiah. If I had only chased research through the narrow monolithic lens of radical materialism, it only can be through a medical procedure. It only can be through science as it's conducted minus intuition, minus, no science can be conducted with intuition, but minus mystical awareness. I would have missed Isaiah in space and time. I would have missed Isaiah, my beautiful spiritual son. But Bernard, even more that night that we found Isaiah, there was a joy. There was an incredible joy. And I got back to New York area. My husband and I were so grateful. Finally, his video came. We put the video in and here was this little boy glowing. Pure love, da, 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 north of St. Petersburg, Russia, arm around the nurse. This blast of love from this little boy awoke in my heart an ultimate love I'd never felt before. I became a mother in that instant of loving this little boy on the other side of the world, full of love, full of light. We went to bed that night, very joyful. Um, the presence came back. If you were pregnant, would you adopt? Yes, absolutely. This is my spiritual son. 
great joy, an ecstatic joy. And that night we naturally conceived his sister, (laughs) his spiritual twin, the spiritual twins. Awakened awareness allowed us to find Isaiah. Awakened awareness allowed us to conceive his spiritual twin. And it's not just a story about becoming parents. It's a story about waking up to the guidance and love in the universe that holds us, directs us. We see through synchronicity, the trail angels lining our way and the gift of the mystical moments that lead us into who we can be more realized as spiritual beings. It's wonderful how you're living what you're teaching and you're teaching what you're living. Um, And that's a beautiful, beautiful story that is just you and what you're saying. You are in the embodiment and the spiritual, whatever embodiment of what you're trying to communicate to the people who listen to you and experience you. So thank you very much for that story. And I have one question. I'm touched and honored, Bernard. Thank you. And likewise to you. I'm sure it's paused and thank to feel what you just said. So, um, so I'm not good at that. So thank, thank you very much for your reciprocation. Um, we're going to have to stop in a minute because you have to go. Um, the phone call you received, had you, who called you? That was an adoption service or was something else? Ah, thank you. So, In our quest, increasingly, trail angels were conveying adoption to us. So, you know, the gentleman on the bus who said, you look like just that type of lady to go all around the world adopting children. I started thinking, wait, there's another door to being a parent. Adoption, it sort of echoed in my ear. Well, sitting on bed rest after what turned out to be our final in vitro, I think it was the seventh or eighth in vitro, my husband and I side by side, you know, he was there out of solidarity as I was flat on my back after the seventh or eighth in vitro. We were kind of splurged because it, it was a hard road and we were both a little worn um, and we stayed in a nice hotel. And so here side by side on bed rest, I pick up the remote, I click and what comes on TV, one channel. And this was in a nice hotel in Philadelphia. And I didn't understand why there's only one channel. So we click it again and I hand it to my husband and he clicks it. I guess this is what we're going to watch. Well, what is it? It is a documentary, a four hour documentary, the only channel on a, at a nice hotel. And it features a little boy. And this little boy is standing in a garbage dump. And through the translator, he says, I don't care that I live in a heap of trash. I don't care that I can't go to school, but it hurts so much to not be loved that I sniff glue to make the pain go away. And my husband, who is the civilian in this journey, had the answer. He looked at me and he said, there's a child out there for us. Can't you see? This is everything you ever talk about. This is synchronicity. There's a child out there for us. And so within the next two weeks, I got a call from my lead trail angel, my mother, little message, little message. Hi, honey, it's mom. I just wanted you to know that Annabelle down the road, she just adopted the most beautiful little boy, little John Joseph. He's from Russia. I just wanted to let you know, click. (laughs) He's the lead trail angel, the leader of the pack. (laughs) And it was starting to become clear that there was a child out there. Our spiritual child might be found. 
through the pilgrimage, it became of adoption. So we found our way to a clergyman's daughter who has brought together hundreds of families, finding children in Russia and Eastern Europe. And as we went to see her down in Pittsburgh, her walls were lined with pictures of beautiful families that had found their child, their spiritual child through adoption. And some of them had adopted young children, four, eight years old. Some had adopted babies. And she sat us down at her table and she was very serious and committed to the extraordinary importance of her work, which is forming families that last the rest of our lives. She looks at us in a very frank and penetrating way. And she says, what is important to you in a baby? And I said, oh, I said, I don't care if this is a boy or a girl. I don't care what race this child is, but please, a child who can love. And my husband kind of leaned in, put his shoulder there and said, yes, all that, but kind of a girl. <laughs> and then I leaned in on him and said, yes, but really just that can love. Yeah. So we'd left her with that message that Mr. Miller wanted a girl, kind of a girl, and that I wanted a child who could love. So fast forward the night after the Anipi, the night after the sweat lodge, the call that came, came from Russia. The clergyman's wife had found our child, but after waiting you know, for months and really for five years for our child, that the child should come the very night that I joined the Lakota in praying for sons. And that the message from Russia that same night should be there are many wonderful girls. And we know Mr. Miller had wanted a girl, but the clergyman's daughter knows that this is the Miller's child. And this is a son, our spiritual son, who became a spiritual twin with his sister. Uh, it's, it's a lot of those, those stories of people getting pregnant when they least expect it, keep trying and it doesn't happen, but then something happens and it's a, you, you kind of could release something and that allowed you to be open is one way to think about it, uh, to be pregnant, but whatever it was, you now have two of them and uh, they're twins, uh, they're spiritual twins. And, spiritual twins. And, and it felt, Bernard, very different from relaxing. I mean, I can do mindfulness and I can go to the spa and I can never write yeah, one. Please describe that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it felt, it felt very, very different from relaxing. There was a bright, numinous presence that I knew through my own awakened awareness was real, ontologically real in direct communication. And I am not special. I, like everyone else, am guided by someone who's special, who I call God. But that deep guidance, that numinous feeling, that far unto probabilistic to have happened by chance alignment, that the very night we were praying for sons in South Dakota in the Anipi with the Lakota women was found our son, not Mr. Miller's anticipated daughter, but his spiritual son. That's far too unprobabilistic to have happened by chance. And that all happened way in advance of any glass of red wine. <laughs> I, 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 I used the wrong word because I needed you to be able to fill it, fill it in. But you, you had a numinous experience mm. somehow yes. in having and knowing that your son was in St. Petersburg or near there. And that numinous experience did something that allowed you and Mr. Miller uh, to have a baby yourself as well. And, and you had to say yes to St. Petersburg in order to be able to have your own, it looks like to me. 
Um, and Bernard, the little spiritual twin daughter, was born, right? She's 10 months younger than her spiritual twin brother. That's, that's close. Our first night together, this tiny, you know, you've seen newborns, they look like they're 800 years old. They're like wise, moving expressions. And she looks at me, first night together, and goes, Huge wink. <laughs> Cosmic wink. So she was in on it. She was in. <laughs> and she she's was still in on, in on it, probably. There's yes. there's there's more to ask about that. You've got to go. Um this has been for me a wonderful series of uh synchronicities uh that you have just described. Uh and I, I love that we have different ideas about how mm -hmm. to explain them because mm -hmm. I'm I'm a little bit more uh like a materialistic direction. I like to see mm -hmm. visuals and see how mm -hmm. things happen. I like pictures and stuff. Uh but that's the way this business goes. We all have our own ways of thinking about them. That's what um, makes good dance partners. That's <laughs> gotta be a little different. And then find a way to groove together. And we just did. And uh, I, I'm so touched by your story and the way you told it and the feeling in it uh, and the results of it. Um, this is a beautiful story that I'm so glad we're being able to record and have other people be able to hear and see. So, uh, Lisa Miller, I'm so very, very glad that uh, we've met. And uh, thanks for being with me today. It's been a joy and a blessing. I hope to see you again soon. Ah, uh, yes. This psychosphere is our mental atmosphere, like a hologram of cosmic consciousness.